Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Sheckman. Today we journey back to a pivotal moment in history, exactly 78 years ago, when the first atomic test was successfully detonated at 5.29 a.m. in Alamogordo, New Mexico. It was a moment so profound that one observer likened it to being present at the creation. My guest today is Greg Mitchell, an acclaimed author who has delved deep into this era, exploring the intersection of science, politics, and Hollywood in the aftermath of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. His book, The Beginning or the End, tells the fascinating story of the first movie on the atomic bomb, produced by MGM, sabotaged by Truman and the Pentagon, and defending the use of the bomb and the development of bigger ones. In that failed cinematic attempt, Robert Oppenheimer, known as the father of the atomic bomb, allowed himself to be depicted as a key character in a movie that ended up being little more than pro-bomb propaganda. Yet this narrative has been widely embraced for over three quarters of a century. Greg Mitchell's book chronicles this first effort of American media and culture to process the atomic age at a time when wise intentions were compromised in favor of defending the use of the bomb and the imperatives of post-war politics. And now today, with the upcoming release of Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer, this history is drawing new attention. Whether it changes history or allows us to better understand the future of the nuclear age is an open question. Mitchell is the former editor of Nuclear Times and of editor and publisher, and the author of The Beginning or the End, Hollywood, Washington, and the Bomb. It is my pleasure to welcome Greg Mitchell here to the program. Greg, thanks so much for joining us. Ah, thanks to be, thanks for having me back here well, today. Well, it is a pleasure to have you back here on the program. In many ways, your book is, and, and the story of that film is the precursor to, to the Oppenheimer movie. It only took 70-some-odd years. Talk, <laughs> talk about that. Well, there have only, uh, until the Nolan film, only been three Hollywood dramas uh, on the making and the use of the bomb. Uh, the... MGM film you mentioned, which is the the center of my book, uh, the beginning or the end, uh, and uh, then there was a, a, a mo- another MGM movie a few years later about the pilot who uh, dropped the bomb over Hiroshima, Paul Tibbetts, right. called Above and Beyond. Uh, then many many years later, uh, there was the film Fat Man and Little Boy. Um, starring Paul Newman as General Groves and uh, the, a rather unknown Dwight Schultz as Oppenheimer. Uh, so you, you can imagine how that debate turned out. Uh, these three movies, uh, none of them were uh, were very good. Uh, the, the last one was, was, was pretty good. Um, none of them were that successful at the box office or won awards. So it, it seems like this subject has been kind of a raw nerve for Hollywood. Uh, it's been the subject of many documentaries, including the one I made called Atomic Cover-Up. Uh, but it's, you know, it's something that Hollywood has uh, been reluctant to approach. And uh, it probably took a kind of superstar director like Nolan to be able to get this film uh, done. But hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll, see what, uh, we'll see what it brings. Do you think that there is something different or a different attitude in in the kind of zeitgeist of the culture to make this more accessible at this point or people more willing to to talk about this well you know we do it it's it's kind of a cliche uh we have a new generation of younger people 
I've been told uh, many times, you know, in the last uh, few weeks, my book has gotten uh, a lot more attention again because of the uh, the Nolan movie. Uh, and I've been told by many people, well, young people today don't know anything about the subject. They're going to come to this Nolan movie uh, fresh and without uh, preconceptions and knowing very little that maybe they've heard Oppenheimer's name. Uh, they maybe know the atomic bomb was used uh, at some point. Um, but, uh, you know, it's a long time ago. And, you know, Oppenheimer's fame has come and gone, usually dependent on the, how much attention nuclear weapons are getting in the media and the culture. Um, so, you know, uh, it may be that younger audiences will will uh, will be shocked and will be alarmed and uh, may take a different stance than uh, previous generations on the making of the bomb, uh, on the use of the bomb against Japan, on whether we should have never made the H-bomb, uh, whether we should have handled the arms race differently, whether we should have abolished nuclear weapons long ago, uh, and so on and so forth. So it will be interesting to see uh, what the reaction is. But, you know, it partly depends on how Nolan handles these issues. Uh, Oppenheimer himself is a difficult subject because, contrary to what a lot of people think, he never did offer clear regrets for uh, making the bomb and then um, less well-known advocating its use. Uh, The image of, popular image of Oppenheimer has been from his later years with photos and news clips where he seems like a haunted old man and seems to be uh, regretful for what he did and regretful for what the U.S. did. But, you know, he never really said that clearly. And he, he wanted it both ways most of the time. And um, and so we'll see what, how the movie handles him, what the tone, what the message is, what, what people come away with, because it, they could end up being as <laughs> – it could be as confusing and conflicted uh, message as Oppenheimer liked to put out himself. So uh, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Is it possible that that Oppenheimer himself was so conflicted that the confusion around what he really believed and when he believed it was was really a function of of his own confusion? Yeah. Well, you know, the, it could be that he was he was seriously conflicted uh, and changed his mind a lot and felt all things. Uh, at the same time, uh, it could have also been calculated by him, uh, have it both ways, uh, want to be an insider on the bomb, want to be uh, proudly the father of the atomic bomb. Um, but on the other hand, uh, you know, raise questions about about its uh, uh, future use and building more weapons. Now, I think he legitimately was, uh, we might say, a more moderate figure post-war in advocating uh, the H-bomb and advocating more weapons. I think he genuinely was, you know, in favor of more arms control. Um, But uh, in terms of regrets about making, he took great pride in the, in the Manhattan project and the the sweet science, as he called it, and uh, leading this team that made the bomb. I think he felt that that the the bomb was going to get made by someone uh, soon and it was good that the U.S. made it, um, and that, you know, it was a, a towering 
scientific achievement. On the other hand, look what it wrought. And uh, as I said, it's, it's sort of less known by Americans today that he was a firm advocate of using the bomb. I think the popular image of Oppenheimer is that he, okay, he, he helped make the bomb, but, uh, you know, that was out of his hands. You know, he himself said it was inevitable that the bomb would be used. And that's sort of the image. So, well, what can you do? The scientists made the bomb. The eggheads, you know, made the bomb. And the policymakers decided to use it. What could he do? But in behind the scenes, Oppenheimer was pushing for use of the bomb. It was like it kind of would be proud uh, achievement that to, to, to not only to make the weapon, but then get to the point where it could be used successfully. Uh, and he, you know, he took part in targeting discussions. Uh, he advocated and got them to detonate the bomb at a height that would be the most destructive to the people on the ground. Uh, he helped cover up radiation hazards after the fact. So he was, uh, he was not a, uh, inspiring figure, you know, in that, in those ways. Um, and again, it will be interesting to see what the Nolan film does with it. The, you know, the film I write about, uh, the first movie, uh, it was, as you've said, it was transformed by the Pentagon and by the White House into this pro-bomb propaganda. And so the questions about Oppenheimer aren't raised in the slightest. And that may be one reason why he allowed himself to be depicted in it. Did he ever speak out against the way he was depicted in that first movie, the one you write about, the MGM movie? No, he, he didn't. And I believe me, I searched. You know, I, I follow him from the beginning of the film was announced, I guess you say from the beginning to the end, uh, from the beginning of the film being announced, uh, the, the courtship of him to uh, get depicted. Now, I mean, I remember this is a Hollywood drama. It's not a documentary. So they had to get his uh, assigned release from him. And uh, as they did with Einstein, for example. And um, and so they sent him, sent him scripts and uh, he raised some obje objections to them. Uh, but ultimately, in a meeting with the producer uh, at his house, he basically caved. He basically said, you know, okay, if you, feel, if you take a look at this, maybe you should make some more changes, but I'm ready to sign on the dotted line and for no fee. Uh, and, um, you know, he made, made fun of the film. Uh, he said the depictions were laughable. Uh, you know, the actor chosen to play him, Hume Cronin, is a very good actor, but he was not uh, very well known. Uh, he looked, looked nothing like Oppenheimer. Uh, he's a Canadian, <laughs> uh, short. Uh, and, but uh, uh, Oppenheimer, if anything, after he signed the release, embraced the movie more. He went to the movie set in Hollywood and met uh, met Cronin and uh, actually went on the set. And then he had dinner with the producer, and then he screened uh, a print of the film, a working print. So uh, he uh, he was very much involved. And then, then he sort of bowed out, and there's no record of him. Uh, I, I found out he, was, uh, he did not attend the premiere, and he didn't issue any statements um, about the film itself, in contrast to... In fact, my book opens with uh, a couple of the key scientists uh, attending a screening in Chicago of the movie and uh, fleeing, literally, when the lights came up 
uh, practically hiding under their seats and then fleeing to an automobile, uh, where one of them was unquoted, uh, uh, you know, that our, we, our sin was uh, to uh, not only to, to make the bomb, but also to be the fact that led to this movie. <laughs> uh, so um, that's, um, but Oppenheimer said no such thing. We really don't know how he felt about it. Was there accuracy at all in the amount of credit that Oppenheimer was given for this entire exercise, for the Manhattan Project? In in so many ways, it was such a collaborative effort. Talk about why Oppenheimer is, is singled out as the father of the bomb, and is that accurate? Well, he led, he led the project. Uh, there's no question about that. General Gross was the military director and I, technically the overall director of the project, and Oppenheimer was the scientific director. And it was very interesting because, uh, as, as, as someone said, he... Uh, how? Why did Groves put him in charge? He he couldn't even have run a hot dog stand. He had no aptitude for this. He had no experience in leading a, in anything like this sort of project. Uh, he was a, really a pure egghead. And uh, the uh, it's also kind of amazing that Groves hired him because Groves was aware that Oppenheimer had uh, some communist associations uh, in the 1930s through friends, uh, not a, a party member, perhaps himself, but definitely tainted by his associations in the 30s, and yet Groves hired him, even though he had didn't have experience running a large project and he had maybe some political problems. Now, this, I'm sure, is going to be brought forward in the Nolan movie. It, it makes a great drama. Um, this guy who didn't really seem to be fit for this job gets plucked, uh, plucked out and put in, put in charge and, you know, certain suspicions about him from the beginning. Uh, but there's no question that he, you know, he ran this project and the, the various uh, quirky personalities uh, at Los Alamos, um, Oppenheimer himself, uh, as people have pointed out, was never a candidate for a Nobel Prize, unlike most uh, a great number of the people at Los Alamos, uh, but he ended up being a great uh, director and getting people to to mesh and compromise and move forward. So, uh, being called the father of the atomic bomb, you know, yeah, it's, it makes it sound like he sat off somewhere and kind of invented it, and, <laughs> and other people executed it. Uh, when in fact, other people did execute it, but he was in charge of the the operation and and certainly deserved a a good amount of credit or blame depending where you fall Mm -hmm. are you surprised at the scope of of this current movie that it's not just another movie but it's it was a giant undertaking on the part of uh, of hollywood well yeah it was uh it's a three-hour movie it's uh uh, Christopher Nolan um, is not beloved by everyone. Some of his films, uh, people have scratched their heads and not quite sure what he meant or what you know what these right. different parallel storylines and universes and everything else. Um, he did make the movie Dunkirk not too long ago, which was a more a little more straightforward historical narrative and. Uh, and this movie, I think, is probably in that vein. It's not going to be as, uh, you know, we might say confusing or confounding 
but Nolan has always been very creative as a director, technically brilliant. Uh, he assembles a great team, music, editing, uh, you know, cinematography. And, and so it, it, it but, it's, you know, it's costly. There's a lot of big stars in this movie. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it's definitely a major event. And it's, as, as I'm sure you and most listeners know, it's been hyped a great deal. It's they've been rolled out the publicity. They expect it to be a, uh, a blockbuster. I hate, hate to use that word, but, um, but, you know, we'll see, we'll see that we'll see what, uh, we'll see how it goes, but it's, it's a, definitely a big, uh, a big project. And I hope a good project that will, will do some good, but that remains to be seen. I guess the, the other question is whether or not there's a book to be done about the making of this movie of Oppenheimer. <laughs> Well, I think that uh, I think there already has been one that's going to be uh, on sale at Amazon, uh, probably in a couple of weeks. You know, uh, and I think the script is, is going to appear as a book and so forth. Now, whether you know my book on uh, the beginning or the end kind of takes a uh, well critical or honest look at the making and unmaking of that film and the problems that were raised, the pressure that was brought by Truman and the Pentagon, um, kind of the scandalous way that this film was uh, kind of destroyed, you might say. Um, now, a book about the Nolan film, I don't know. I, I, I hope there hasn't been that kind of pressure on him. Uh, it certainly would be interesting if it turned out that his his script, which he wrote himself, somehow he was asked to tone it down or something. But I, I'm, I'm not sure that's that's really going to come out. Right. I mean, it may very well be that, that the pressure on this film is exactly the opposite, that uh, to make the kind of film that, that would be pro-bomb or pro-Oppenheimer may not be as, as politically correct in today's environment. Maybe. I don't know. We'll see. You know, I think uh, I've written about the subject for 40 years now and uh, have often uh, talked about the... Uh, you know, what I call the, the Hiroshima raw nerve and the Hiroshima narrative, which is, you know, the raw nerve is that we're, uh, America has been reluctant to really face what happened back then. Um, and the Hiroshima narrative being what has, what was spun out um, originally uh, and has endured, which is, you know, why the bomb had to be used, that the bomb the bomb did have to be used. It's the thing that ended the war. It's the only thing the U.S. could have done. Uh, even had to drop it at Nagasaki for a one-two punch. And this was the narrative that emerged immediately after its use. And it's held sway more or less with the media, with public officials, uh, and in public opinion polls. Um, it's been questioned at various times. And you know what's interesting about that first movie 1947. It was at a time when this was sort of up, still up for grabs. A lot of people were were terrified about the future. They were raising questions about the use of the bomb. Um, the this MGM movie came out right after John Hersey's famous New Yorker article, probably the, some some say the most important article ever written for a magazine uh, called Hiroshima that then became a best-selling book in 1946 and it appeared at a time when people were taking as a kind of a second look at the use of the bomb and suddenly 
there were great questions about uh, whether Truman had made the right decision and so on and so forth. So the this MGM movie was among several other uh, responses, what you might call official responses, to the, the threat raised by the Hersey uh, article um, to beat back questions, you know, that were 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 finally emerging. And in fact, it was successful. And so since 1946, 1947, the, you know, the questions raised about the use of the bomb and developing new bombs have was kind of considered settled, more or less. And um, it's been an effort, I mean, by myself and others for decades now, to kind of have an open discussion about this and, and you know, raise questions about the, uh, you know, this Hiroshima narrative, however you may feel about it, you know, but, you know, let's have it out in the open and let's have a big debate about it. And, and, and it is uh, an open question right now how the Nolan uh, movie, the new movie, will picture this. They, right. they, you could do a three-hour biopic of Oppenheimer uh, so many interesting parts of his career, and yeah, he, down to his the famous uh, hearings over his security clearance um, in 1954. That you could do it, you know, you could do a biopic that could be quite interesting and probing, and uh, inter- what a fascinating character. And but yet, kind of w- once the bomb is used, and just kind of take the the popular narrative of, well, you know, it's, it's unfortunate. A lot of people died. It's, uh, uh, but it had to happen and we feel bad about it, but you know, the bomb was needed and it's the only thing that ended the war and so forth and then move on and, and, and picture Oppenheimer's uh, conflicts and wringing his hands and, and so forth. But, uh, the narrative will endure. So I'm not real optimistic that Nolan is really taking on the Hiroshima narrative, but it is possible that by the end of the film, people will uh, get a different, uh, different picture of that, even if it's, it's, it's as conflicted as Oppenheimer was. Of course, the other issue is the impact that the bomb had on development since Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and whether the world was a safer place as a result of a kind of mutually assured destruction. Yeah, well, you know, Oppenheimer himself claimed uh, almost immediately that it's a good thing we made the bomb and a good thing we used it because it showed the world what the, what we were all up against. You know, um, this bomb it was too awful to use, even even though we used it, which is sort of an interesting argument. Um, and um, you know, it's, it's the end of what well, I think he used the phrase, you know, this means the end of, of uh, conventional wars. Um, now, of course, that hasn't happened by a long. Uh, uh, but the, you know, the uh, we have not had another world war. So if someone wants to say thanks to the bomb, we have not had another world war. Uh, I guess that's true. We certainly have had uh, countless numbers of. Uh, you know, smaller wars, including the look at how destructive the Russia-Ukraine war is. Right. Incredibly destructive, incredible number of casualties. Uh, it's, it's hardly a minor thing. And uh, the the fact that Russia has the bomb, uh, and certainly NATO has the bomb, um, you know, hasn't stopped 
the conventional slaughter. And you can go back to Vietnam and Korea and Iraq and so on and so forth. So the dream of Oppenheimer that these kind of wars would not happen because they could lead to nuclear war, therefore the smaller wars would not start is completely bogus. The fact there's been no world war is, I guess, a positive thing. Uh, maybe you could attribute partly to the bomb. Uh, but, uh, you know, but that's what we're left with. You know, you're left with growing up in terror. I certainly grew up in the 50s and 60s right. just terrified. Cuban Missile Crisis and Duck and Cover and everything else. So that's one effect, uh, one negative effect. Uh, you have the radiation dangers, which Oppenheimer helped cover up. Um, uh, so many workers, so many uh, soldiers, so many average citizens who were affected by uh, fallout um, from tests. Um, you even had um, medical experiments uh, where, where Americans, patients, were subjected to radiation uh, as part of experiments without their permission, which was a tremendous scandal, you know, 25 years ago that people kind of forget about now. Um, and then the, even there's buried uh, radioactive waste all over the country, which still uh, poses a threat. So you can go on and on and on, all the, the negative fallout, so to speak, from creating the bomb. Um, and, uh, and, and when people should pay attention to that. And uh, that's part of the legacy of, you know, of, of inventing the bomb. So, you know, we'll see if there's uh, going to be uh, a different reaction to these things that the Nolan movie will set off. I've been told time and time again, it re recently, as my book has sort of gotten more attention, um, you know, been told was well, a new generation and that this new generation knows nothing about the creation of the bomb, knows nothing about Oppenheimer. They're going to see this movie and freak out and uh, take a completely different stance than maybe past generations. Uh, but, you know, we'll see. We'll see if that happens. It's also interesting that repeatedly the way into this story of the bomb and, and all the points that you've been talking about, that the way in continues to be through Oppenheimer. Yeah, well, you know, it's uh, certainly that's Nolan. I, mean, I don't think Nolan was going to make a history of nuclear in nuclear uh, era type of movie, uh, although he might be capable of it. But uh, the uh, certainly centering on one figure, um, and, you know, because he's such an interesting character. Now, what you do with that's another matter. I mean, he, he basically he, he helped create the weapon and helped get it used. And then he tried to bow out of the the industry after a few years and was not an active part of the establishment, not like he ran the nuclear programs or nuclear arsenals or, uh, you know, I mean, if anything, Edward Teller, who helped invent the H-bomb, uh, became much more of a, a figure in the 50s and 60s, really down to this date. I mean, he just, uh, he was always in the news and was proud proudly took credit for the hydrogen bomb and hated Oppenheimer or testified against Oppenheimer and his security hearings and uh, you know Teller became the man he became the the, the bomb man 
Oppenheimer had invented a weapon that was, you know, small potatoes compared to what Teller invented. Um, and um, so it's not like Oppenheimer is, you know, was a leading figure throughout this whole era. Um, nevertheless, he could be used and has been used as a symbol or as an icon or someone who embodied so many conflicts and confusions and about this uh, this weapon. And so you tell the story through him. It makes it more interesting. But then the question still is, what story are you really telling? What's the message of your story? Right. You know, what, what, what are we left with? Greg Mitchell, his book is The Beginning or the End, Hollywood, Washington, and the Bomb. Greg, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Uh, very happy to be here, and uh, thanks for inviting me. Thank you.